Good morning, Pleasant Street, and welcome to worship. Whether you're online or in person, we're so glad you're here. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Um, this is a season of Lent. It's a time of preparation. We're preparing for Jesus' death and resurrection to celebrate it once again. And it's also a time to examine our lives and just see how we can have a closer walk with him. Um, before we begin, there's just a couple of announcements. One, it is Communion Sunday um, today, so if you do not have one of the little um, you know, bread and wine packets, if you want to raise your hand, Dawn said she would come around and um, give you one. And online, it's um, time for you to get some elements and be ready for that when it's that time of our worship. And there's one other announcement. Tony Brookhouse has an announcement that he would like to make. Um, Good morning, everybody. Coming from council, we just wanted to remind anybody that is uh, 75 years or older that we're going to be able to help you get the vaccine. Uh, we want to be able to have you reach out to your elder deacon pair, or you can contact the Northbridge Senior Center. Uh, Kelly Bowl is, is there, and she can uh, help make sure that we get the vaccine spread out. It's imperative, and we just wanted you to know that the council is uh, fully behind us. Thank you. Before we begin worship, let's just quiet our hearts in a moment of silent prayer. Lord Jesus, as you journey to the cross for us this season, give us courage to follow you there. Along the way, please show us how we have turned astray so that we might delight in your straight path towards Jerusalem, your death, and our life. Mark us with a deeper repentance, not the outward sign of apology, but repentance of heart. In the hope of new life and the strength of your devotion to us, we pray. Amen. Please rise in body or spirit and join us for the call to worship. We give thanks to you, God our Father, for mercy that reaches out, for patience that waits our returning, for your love that is ever ready and welcomes sinners. Though we are sinners, you are faithful and worthy of all praise. We praise you. Chosen one, bring many 
sons to glory
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Amazing love, now flowing down. Your grace is enough for us. But so often this past week, we have to confess that we haven't always walked in God's way. We haven't always done his will or sought his will for our lives. We have sinned. So please join me in a prayer of confession. O oh God, our great shepherd, you tenderly gather us as lambs, carrying us with your all-embracing love. Yet like sheep, we wander from you, following our own ways, ignoring your voice, distrusting your provisions. Forgive our stubborn rebellion, our hardened hearts, our lack of trust. Refresh us once again by your quiet waters of mercy and restore our souls by your redeeming love. Guide our paths that we might follow you more closely. Please continue now in silent confession. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our great shepherd, we pray. Amen. Hear these words of encouragement and assurance from Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. 
Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Receive the good news of the gospel, friends. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. This is the good news.
Church, the peace of Christ be with you. Let us pass that peace to each other in a socially distant way. My name is Tony Brookhouse. I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street. And it is my distinct privilege to pray with you this morning. So will you bow your heads? Dear Lord and Heavenly Savior, as we approach your throne this morning, help us to remember to be with Joy and her shoulder and also be with Alan and Pastor Matthew as they both continue to recover from their illnesses. As I woke this morning, Lord, I, I saw the sunrise and I was thinking of the changing seasons. And as the sun stays up longer in the sky, we are reminded that all the seasons come and go by your command. As we approach spring, we feel the, your presence and we anticipate the blooms and the buds on the trees and the flowers that you bring back to us year after year. In this season of Lent, Lord, we are humbled to think that every story and every person in those stories leading up to Easter were orchestrated with you and your plan to help bring about a path for our salvation. The season of Lent is the ultimate witness of how everything, no matter how big or small, works alone to your glory and restoring the relationship between you, O Lord, and us, your people. Please remind us, dear Lord, and move us to action with our resources. We can honor you, our Savior, by giving of our gifts and tithes to your kingdom causes. Specifically, help us to remember our church community here at Pleasant Street. We need to be reminded and to honor the needs, O oh Lord, of this budget at this organization and here at the church abroad. Help us for funding all these ministries here. Now, as we approach this week, O oh Lord, grant us aid by your Holy Spirit to work faithfully in our vocations, which come from you, in order to show love to you and to the people around us rather than just for our own gain and glory. And in all we do, help us always, Lord, and in your name we pray. Amen. Hello? Sorry about that. Good morning. May the Lord be with you. This morning's reading comes from Luke 15, verses 1 through 32. The parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in that same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country where there he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Nicely done, Weber. Hello friends, it's good to be back again. I'm grateful to the council for the invitation. 
1992, and that's you know, more than a couple years ago, but that's where the story comes from. I, a Los Angeles City parking uh, control officer came across a brown Eldorado Cadillac parked against the curb on a street sweeping day. And so the enforcement officer dutifully filled out the $30 citation, reached inside the car and dropped it on the dash, ignoring the driver who was sitting right there. The driver didn't offer a word of complaint or excuse. There was good reason for it. About 12 hours earlier, he'd been shot in the head. He was dead. The officer never noticed. He was intent on writing the citation, making sure that the wrong was righted. He got back in his car and drove away. Now, there are people all around us who are dead in their transgressions and sins, in the words of Ephesians 2. And, and what they need from us is not our condemnation. They don't need a citation from us saying how bad they are, they are or, or what they thought gotten wrong. What they need is a Savior. We need to be intentional about reaching to those who don't know Jesus, who have never known Jesus, and to those who are drifting from Jesus today. I'm going to talk this morning a little bit about what that means for us today and how we become part of God's story in reaching those who are lost. Luke 15 records three parables in a row about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. That's what the heading says, the story of lost son. It's actually the lost sons. We'll talk about that just briefly today. He told these parables because some of the religious people were very content to, to live in their religious cloister and, and to hold at arm's length those publicans, those sinners, those bad people. And Jesus is saying to them, all people matter to God. There are some in the church today who are much happier and well content to simply dwell in their religious club that they call their church, but wanting to be careful that they don't sully themselves with those sinners. Jesus calls us to say, bring those people in, find those who are lost, welcome them home. We'll look first at the first two parables. They're very similar. The uh, lost sheep and the, the lost son. They, they, they follow the same pair, uh, uh, pattern. You know, they, Jesus has been accused of eating with sinners. And um, he, he talks in three parts. He says, God is deeply concerned about that which is lost or that which is missing. God will search them out until he finds them. And when they are found, God will rejoice with all heaven. First two follow the same pattern. The third really does too. Notice the intensity of the search process. The, the shepherd leaves the 99 that are safe in the field and are in, if you would, the, the religious club. They're, they're, they're protected and surrounded. And he leaves them alone so he can spend all of his time looking, 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 checking the, the valleys and the brambles and whatever he could until he finds the lost sheep. And when he finds that sheep, he brings it back on his shoulder and he calls his friends and his neighbors and said, rejoice with me. I have found the one that was lost. And the woman, 
She lights a lamp and she sweeps the house and she searches diligently. She, she doesn't quit. She doesn't give up. Looks under the bed, checks under the sofa, looks everywhere she can until she finds it. And when she finds her lost coin, she again calls her friends and her neighbors and says, the one that was lost is found. Rejoice with me. And God calls in the angels in the church together for whom Jesus died. And he says to them, let us rejoice. And so we read that the angels in heaven also rejoice. The, the early church looked for new Christians with that same kind of intensity. It began in Jerusalem. At, at, at the beginning, the church was centered in Jerusalem. They actually met in the temple grounds, the Jewish temple grounds. For a while they were actually well received at first until they grew and then the jewish leaders got uh, nervous and persecution started and the people were scattered to samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth and as they went out into the world fleeing persecution they continued to look for others to join with them in the joy of salvation and the joy of knowing the savior who died for them forgave their sins and has risen again to guarantee their lives. We read in uh, Acts 8 that Philip went down to a city in Samaria, and he proclaimed Christ there. Uh, Peter went to Joppa to meet Cornelius, a Gentile, and he broke Jewish tradition because he was intent on finding someone who would know Jesus. Looking for new Christians was a way of life for the early disciples. I, I, I think of it a little bit about... I, kind of a golfer. My foursome knows I'm only kind of a golfer. And um, I'll, I'll hit a drive, and it's not all uncommon to slice it into the trees. And when I lose a ball, and it's my ball, I will look intensely for the full five minutes allowed because I don't want that two-stroke penalty. And so I will search, and I will search, and I will be diligent. It's somebody else's ball. I'll go over, and I'll look. But it's not the same. So what, what, what Jesus is saying in these parables is look for your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers, the people who don't now know Jesus, and, and reach out to them and search for them with the same kind of intensity that you would look for your own golf ball, or more, because their pe people are much more important than any golf ball would be. That's why when someone accepts Christ, it is often, not always, but often because there was a family member or a friend or an acquaintance who cared enough to pray for them, cared enough to love them, cared enough to become part of their lives, to offer service, not to gain a notch on their belt for every sinner they brought in as if we're collecting souvenirs, but because they so intensely wanted the people they know and love to know the Savior that we also know and love. So what is it like in the church today? How intently are we looking and searching? This is not a universal condemnation. In fact, there, there's a lot of people who are doing this, but not all of us, and let's be honest about that. Upon occasion, someone will come wandering in, especially pre-COVID, but even in the age of COVID, someone will 
go to the web and they'll look at our website, which is our primary way of letting people know who we are and where we are. And they'll see that we start at 9.30 and people will come in and, and we greet them warmly, I hope. Uh, every church I've ever been in thought of itself as a friendly church. Some of them were. Uh, I would hope that this is one of those, that, that we make a point of looking, of deliberately looking to see who is beside us or in the row ahead of us. And if it's someone we don't know, something I have taught in many churches is the three-minute rule, that after the benediction has been spoken and the doxology sung, we spend at least the first three minutes making a deliberate effort to talk to people we don't already know. And I will tell you, that's not our natural tendency. Our natural tendency is to go over to that group of five that we talk to every Sunday. We get our coffee, and we go to that group of five. And I have been in churches where I have been a visitor, and I come out, and I try to find someone to talk to me. And so some of you have played bumper pool. It's kind of like bumper pool, and these pods of five or six people are the bumpers. And so I'll wander through the fellowship hall, and it's bump, 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 out the door. Let's not be that church. Make a point to look for the guest among us, to greet them warmly. Let them know that we welcome them here. The same can be true of us and the people we know individually. Look for those who need Jesus. And I encourage you to, in several of these categories, you've got your immediate family, you have extended relatives, you have close friends, neighbors, co-workers, acquaintances. Just think through the categories of people who share your life, fellow students or whatever, and try to find one or two people who you know don't, need, don't have Jesus. Everyone needs Jesus. They don't know Jesus right now, but they need him. And, and, and then begin by the important part, which is being aware of them and praying daily that, that God would send his spirit to help break into the, the heart that needs to be touched and accept God. But then go the next step. Don't just pray for them. Talk to them. And not even necessarily talking about Jesus. Just befriend them. You know, invite them out to eat. We can begin to do that again soon. Well, some a little bit already. Um, you know, bring them, invite, invite them into your home for a meal. Um, let, make, them, make them a part of your pod. Whatever it takes. Because the reality is people don't want to hear what you know until they know how much you care and how much you love them and that you really have their best interests at heart. People, people really resent the feeling that we're hunting them to try to get one more notch. They need to know that we love them for who they are and we want better for them. So number one, look for them, be aware of them, think about who it might be that we can be part of their life story and then invite them to be part of our lives. Number two, then we need to listen to them. Uh, I've, I've talked before, that I'm sure I talked about it here because it was in Florida before I came here, that I went to uh, the Presbyterian Church there and took the evangelism explosion thing. And the evangelism explosion thing is a lengthy, memorized kind of forced path to try to bring people to the point where they don't have much choice but to pray the prayer, if you will. 
And part of the teaching of evangelism explosion is actually, and if they ask you a question, they're just trying to divert you. And so you just go past it and keep on with the spiel. I'll tell you how about, about how effective that approach is. And it's not. Until we're ready to hear people and know people and accept people where they're at and then tell them that we would love to have them even better, we need to listen to them. We have to listen to their questions, their doubts, their, their wonderings. This is the pattern in the early church. Uh, very, very first sermon, Pentecost Sunday. They came out, they were speaking tongues, and the people said, they're drunk. And, and, and Jesus, or Peter, heard them. He understood what they were saying, maybe why they were thinking it. And his answer is, come on, guys, it's only 9 in the morning. We're not drunk. He listened and answered their legitimate question in Acts 8. Philip hears the Ethiopian eunuch reading the scriptures, and he says, what is that you are reading? He, he understood what that Ethiopian eunuch was doing, and, and the eunuch then invited him into the chariot and said, tell me what it means. But he listened first. In, in Acts 18, a man named Apollos is speaking boldly in the synagogue. But he doesn't have the whole story right. And having heard him and listened to him, Aquila and Priscilla invite him back to their home. And they open up a fuller understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. But they listened first. The church has long done surveys in neighborhoods asking people, you know, first, are you a Christian or do you go? They usually don't ask that. They ask, do you go to church? And, and a lot, part, of, part of the survey is, what, what is it that you would want the church to do? do or how could the church help you or or are there particular programs that they would like to, them to offer and so forth and and those surveys are a form of listening of trying to understand our neighbors and what they're thinking now we don't alter our message we don't change the gospel we we don't take away the offense the real offense of sin against god and the need for that to be covered which is done by jesus christ and and we receive it by grace but it may affect the way we present that core message i will tell you i know for a fact here at pleasant street we deliberately avoid the use of archaic language uh, it, it's rare that you hear words from the preacher like justification and sanctification, fine Latin words that have great and deep meaning. But if someone doesn't know Jesus and isn't part of the church, it, it sounds like gobbledygook. You know, we, 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 we talk about the need to be forgiven. We talk about growing to be like Jesus. We avoid the big archaic terms. We, we try to make guests welcome but never embarrassing them. I've been in a couple churches in my life where when the preacher gets up, he says, if, if you're here for the first time, will you please stand up? And I go, no, I won't. You know, we, we don't do that. We, instead, we quietly look around, and if we see someone we don't recognize, we observe the three-minute rule, and we try to greet them at the end of the service uh, or even before the service if we're sitting here chatting a little bit. We... We use modern language translations of the Bible without all the these and thous and wouldst and shouldst. You know? we, we print out the order of worship. Why do we print the order of worship in the bulletin? One of the reasons I have always wanted the order of worship printed is not for those of you who are regular here. You kind of know the 
the process. It's for the person who's in church for the first time and wondering, what in the world do I need to do? I don't want to stand up when other people are sitting down or you know, stay standing after that everybody else has been seated. And so we, we give them a path so they know what's coming. We change our method because we have heard what people are asking and we try to address those concerns. I mean, one of the best ways to get people to listen to you is by first listening to them and honoring the fact that their questions, their doubts, their wonderings are legitimate. We go looking for those who need Jesus. We're deliberate about it. We reach out to them, not just with words of, you know, the evangelism explosion spiel, but, but we, we listen to them and we become part of their lives and, and we experience life with them and we share with them. Which leads to the third point, which is that's all a part of loving them. If we want people to know the one we love, they need to know that we love them as well. In the early church, uh, one of the common sayings was, Behold how they love one another. This was the Roman community, not the Christians. Behold how they love one another. And this gets us to that last story, the story of the lost sons. You you know the story. You've heard most of you the preaching on it, I, I preached on it many times. So you've, you know, you and others have heard it. Son wants his father's inheritance. He thumbs his nose at the family. He takes the money. He wastes it. He dissipates it. He impoverished. He's hungry. He comes to his senses. He sees, I need, I need to go back home. And he does so. And instead of the father greeting him with recrimination or upset or reviewing all he's done wrong, he just goes out, runs out, hugs him and receives him home. The early church loved in that way. And we should also love in that way. Peter altered Jewish tradition so that he could go to Cornelius' house and sit with him at table, even though in the vision it was filled with that which was unclean. And Ananias endangered his life to go to this persecutor named Saul about to become Paul because he was urgent and wanting to reach this one who was lost. The Apostle Paul kept pushing the boundaries on reaching out because of his passion to the Gentiles, breaking traditions, insisting that the church in Jerusalem recognize that some of the old Jewish strictures didn't fit because these were not Jewish people, these were Gentile people who were also Christian and the people of God in Jesus Christ. Turns out, of course, that the second son was also lost. He'd been there for years, he had obeyed all his father's orders, he had dutifully obeyed. And when the other brother came home, he got angry because he was working not out of love and not out of commitment, but out of duty. And God doesn't want simple duty, he wants our hearts. And the father responded to him as he did with the one who had run away with open hearts, arms, and an embrace and the notice that all that I have is yours and I am with you always. Hill Thomas said, love talked about is easily ignored. Love demonstrated is irresistible. I like that. Love talked about is easily ignored, but love demonstrated is irresistible. I read the following personal testimony, and I'm, I'm, I'm just going to read it because it's a first-person account. 
young man. Eight years ago, I left home and went away to Colorado State University, and I was majoring in partying. I was in a fraternity, but after three semesters, my world came crashing in on me. I had flunked four of my five classes. I'd de-pledged from my fraternity, fraternity. I'd lost my superficial friends, and the time had come for me to make a change and start walking with Christ. There was no place to have any privacy to make a phone call to my parents explaining that I had failed, and so I took the phone into the bathroom. And I called my parents, and I explained to them that I'd blown it in a lot of areas of my life, not just my grades, but also spiritually. My parents listened to me, and then they said three words to me. Those three words weren't, we love you. Those three words were, just come home. Just come home. That's the message we have to share with the prodigals. Many of us have them in our families and our lives. That's the message we have to share with our coworkers and friends who have never known Jesus. Just, just come home. God wants you back home. And there's one concrete application of that that I think is important. We, as a church, have gotten better at this, but it still can be a struggle. We, we can really struggle if someone who was raised in the church and we knew them, we saw them baptized and, and they went to youth group and, 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 and then somewhere at 18 or 23 they turn their back and they, and they walk away. And sometimes in very flagrant ways they get involved in illicit drugs and alcohol or they have sex and they get pregnant and we're all embarrassed and this used to be worse, it used to, especially the last one, the young lady who got pregnant without being married. It was, it, was, it was awful. And what happened when these young people reached back to the church and said, will you love me? The answer was, well, maybe eventually, but not until we've adequately shamed you because what you did was wrong. And we want to make you sure that we know what you did was wrong. But there's no grace in that. The father did not go to that first son and run to him on the road and then say, oh, just a minute, let's, let's go through how you wasted all my money, you had sex with prostitutes, and, I mean, you were really bad. You even had to work with the pigs. My, that, you know, let, let's, let's recount all this and make sure you understand how bad it was. He didn't do that. The son came home, and dad actually embarrassed himself. He, he took his robe and he girded it. He, he wrapped it up. He ran down the street with bare legs. That was just un, unbecoming. And when he got to the sun, all he did was wrap his arms around him and say, welcome home. I hope we can do the same when someone who has a really bad reputation is touched by God's spirit and comes back into this place or comes to this place for the first time. And instead of recruit, re, uh, recriminating and reviewing and, and reminding them how bad they had been, just simply say, we are so happy that you're here. Welcome home. There is nothing that brings greater joy to the Father than finding 
that his son or his daughter has returned home. I hope for us there is nothing for which there is greater than rejoice, rejoicing than when those we know who have strayed come home. Shall we pray? Almighty God, keep us from the prideful response of those Jewish leaders who said he welcomes sinners and he, and he eats with them. Huh. Let us not view ourselves as so righteous that others may in some way be unworthy of joining this fellowship or being part of our lives because these are your sons and daughters and every one of them bears your image and every one of them is important to you and when one is lost it is your desire that they be found and when they are you rejoice may our spirit be as yours that seeks that which is lost and rejoices when it is found. Let us think with joy of the future for these people rather than with disdain for their past. Thank you for making us part of that mission. In Jesus, amen. As we come to the table, many people have done work behind the scenes to prepare for this feast. The room has been cleaned for us. Elders and staff have prepared and distributed the cups, the wafers, sanitizer. Some of you have gathered bread and juice or wine from your cupboards and, and set them out for this meal in your homes. Friends, in all this work, God has gone ahead of us and all is ready. When all was ready, Jesus hosted the supper, breaking the bread and sharing the cup, which would be a sign and a symbol of his own body and blood given to us. We come to the table because Jesus has finished the work, dying our death, and has been raised to life. He was cut off from God so that we might call God our Father and never be alone. His blood was spilt so that you might be healed of the virus of sin. Whether you are at your table at home or in front of this one, we are gathered at Christ's table and everything is ready. Please join me in this prayer of thanksgiving. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. God of grace, you lift our hearts because though we squandered your abundant gifts, you waited for us to turn back to you. And though we hardened our hearts to your mercy, you came to find us and draw us home to your banquet. In Christ, you made the journey into the far country of our exile from you. And in his death and resurrection, you justify and sanctify us to stand in your presence and be reunited with your grace. And so we give you thanks gathering around the table of your kingdom with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, proclaiming together your unending praise, saying together, 
Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. God of blessing, you are the host of this feast of joy. In Christ, you have made every preparation for this feast, even, even giving us your body that we might never be hungry again. Send down your Holy Spirit that we may once again belong in your home as your sons and daughters, and that these signs of sustaining bread and renewing wine might be for us the body and blood of your son, Jesus Christ, who, at supper with his disciples, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice before he suffered. On the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and offered it to them, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant, which is sealed in my blood, poured out for you and for many. Do this to remember me. For whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Friends, this is the great mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Forgiving God, when we languish with the pigs in a humiliation of our own making, may Christ's broken body heal, restore, and renew our bodies. When we lurk in the shadows in a resentment of, your own, of our own devising, may Christ shed blood soften and cleanse and refresh our hearts. Strengthen our hands that we may seek a world where there is no hunger except hunger for you. Empower us by your spirit that we might strive for a world where there is no thirst except thirst for your righteousness. In Christ's body, show us your desire for our well-being. In Christ's blood, show us how far you have gone to save us from ourselves. As we turn toward you in this season of repentance, renew in us all the image of your Son, through whom and with whom and in whom all glory and honor are yours now and forever. Amen. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all of those who love him and trust in him alone. All who are sorry for their sins, who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and who want to live in obedience to him are invited to come now with gladness to the table of the Lord. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. The bread which we break is a sharing in the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think most of you know how to do this. Just peel the bread side. Take, eat, remember, believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. The cup for which we give thanks is a shearing in the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ.
take, drink, remember and believe that the blood of our Lord was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all of our sins. Let us pray. We give you thanks, Lord, for this regular reminder of how great your love is for us. This regular seal, this, this promise that you give to us, that you are with us and that you are in us, and that your mercy and your grace overflow us and fill us. We receive these elements, not as those who are prideful, but as those who are broken. But in our brokenness, we welcome your spirit. We receive your forgiveness. And we serve in the power of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to rise and body your spirit for the closing benediction. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. We say together, amen. Say